0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. We're brought to you by Rival Fantasy. And my guest this week Is Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline? I've been wanting to have Sam on for a while. Really happy uh, that
2: he was able to join me this morning. How are you doing, Sam? Great, great. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you. You know, we're about a few days into the minor league season for everybody. About a week and a half into it for the AAA guys. So it's it's a good time to chat about all this stuff. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I just I want to thank you and Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, for all the work you guys do, um, especially this time of year, it's it's incredibly helpful to me. Uh, those, those 30 team articles you guys pump out where you list where all the prospects are opening, uh, that's very useful. I, I finally finished going through all 30 teams, making sure we had all of our guys listed at the right levels. But even more than that is just the, the injury information that you guys have in those articles uh, I, I don't have to tell you this, but I mean, just injury information on minor leaguers is just so hard to come by. So really want to thank you guys for all the work you guys do on those articles.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's one of my favorite things to do every year. And it's also one of the toughest things to do every year. Cause sometimes teams aren't putting out rosters until very late or you have to track down, you know, Hey, I didn't see this guy anywhere. What's the deal. Um, sometimes teams are very forthcoming about that. Sometimes they're not. And you have to track it down other ways, but. Um, it's good to bring that information to people and, and get them ready for the minor league season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, must must read stuff, so um, definitely recommend everyone check that out. Uh, what we're going to do today is kind of tied into that. Uh, Sam and I are going to go uh, back and forth and just kind of mention uh, some prospects that we uh, found their their assignments to be particularly intriguing, whether it was someone being pushed to an aggressive assignment or maybe someone being held back uh, that we thought might be pushed to to a level above where they're at, or maybe uh, just some kind of quirk in terms of where someone got assigned that we found interesting. Uh, So this is going to be really fun. Looking forward to it. And then in the back, we're going to kind of highlight a few uh, specific minor league roster situations that uh, are particularly loaded for people that want to find a a minor league team to go check out uh, here in the early going. Uh, So, without further ado, uh, you're going to go first. Give me a a prospect whose assignment uh, you found uh, compelling to start the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always find the aggressive assignments more exciting, so I'll start out on a good note. Um, I have some guys who are held back a little later, and I'm sure we'll get into those. But to start on a good one, uh, Kyle Manzardo, first baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays. They decided to push him to AAA Durham to start out this year. Uh, It wasn't a huge shock. I mean, I, he performed really well last year at Double A Montgomery. He got in 30 games there. He slugged 550. He only struck out 15.6% of the time. He did Kyle Manzardo things, which is be selective, and when you do swing, swing with purpose, hit the ball hard, which is how you would design any hitter. Uh, But the fact that he only got in 30 games, I thought there was a chance he could go back to the Southern League, Uh, especially with the Rays, how loaded of a system they are. They have some other first base options that they could use a term. Jonathan Ronda is still there. Um, maybe he was going to be the full-time first baseman. I know he's a little bit more flexible uh, defensively than Manzardo is, but they decided to push him. They realized like, Hey, this is one of our guys. This is a guy who needs to be challenged. We're not going to send him back to Montgomery, have him hit 350 over three weeks and realize we wasted three weeks of development with him. Um, the Rays are a good organization as we've seen year in year out at knowing what they have and knowing who they have. And they've, You know, speaking to some people this offseason, the Rays are one of the organizations I work on for MLB Pipeline. They love Manzardo. They love the way he's hit uh, in his first full year last year. So to see him get this assignment, I won't say it's a complete shock, but it's it's a nice surprise. It's nice to see guys only get 30 games, realize, all right, that's enough. There's nothing else you can do here and get that next challenge. I think Manzardo could be, you know, this year's version of Vinny Pasquantino, just a guy who doesn't strike out very much. You know, has enough power, is, is hit overpower at first base and is locked in there, but the hit tool is certainly going to get him to the major leagues at some point this season. Why not start him out at AAA?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good call. I, I definitely kind of took note when I saw that Manzardo was headed to AAA, and I'm sure some people are like, well, of course he's going to AAA. Look how good he was at, last year at AA. But uh, the Rays, they, they had some cover. If they wanted to send him back to AA, they could just say, well, he only played 30 games there. So them sending him to AAA to start the season, it does kind of open the window there for him to be up this year. Sometime this summer, uh, I wasn't really sure they were going to go that route. They've got a ton of guys. Like you mentioned, they've got a Ronda, they got Curtis Mead. Uh, they don't have Manzardo yet on the 40 man, but that was a big uh, kind of signal that they're very open to him reaching the majors this year. They could have sent him to double A, but now he's just one step away. So I, I really like that call. Uh Mine. I'm actually gonna jump down my list because I also had a guy uh, that the Rays sent to Triple A, and uh, Osleve Spasabe is someone who, you know, we've I, we've been tracking for years. Always has had this great hit tool back when he was in the Rangers system, uh, but he had zero home runs in 57 games at Double A last year. I believe he's like 22. Maybe he's about to turn 22. Um, but he hit a home run in big league spring training, and then he's already got a home run in a week's worth of games at AAA. So, you know, the Rays, I think they could have sent him back to Double I know he's, he is on the 40 man, but another guy where it just felt like they were giving this guy, uh, Basabe, a, a vote of confidence and possibly a sign that there's some power coming that might surprise us this year if we factor in what he did in the spring and, and what he's done so far in the early going there at uh, AAA,
2: yeah i remember we were trying to debate like where to put him in the raise list adam barry the Rays beat writer puts together the top 30 for the preseason and then i fill in uh, as the season goes along and we were having debates about basabe versus mason hour you know their mm-hmm. outfield prospect who's tooled up has four out of five tools it's the hit tool that's the question basabe is kind of the other way we know right. he's going to hit he's a guy who's a threat to hit 300 wherever he goes it's just is it 10 homer power is it 15 homer power is he ever going to scratch the upper teens? We don't know. So him homering already for Durham is, is a big step. Um, and yeah, we're going to see how things go. But the fact that again, you could send him back to Montgomery, have him hit three thirty—that's not going to do anything for him. Why? Why do that? That's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah, it's a
1: it's a good challenge, and uh, you know, it's it's early. It's only a week, but if we, you know, if we look up in June and Basabe's, you know, setting kind of career bests in, in the power department. Uh, I think that that's very noteworthy because of what you said with the the hit tool and uh, he can play um, multiple positions in the infield. Um, I did I did think that the Rays just in general um, had some more aggressive assignments this year than I, I remember in, in past years. I thought we also saw votes of confidence for Junior Caminero and, um, Cole Wilcox uh, getting to skip over high A Mason Hour as you said, um, working on that hit tool, but he gets an aggressive push to double A. So um, yeah, Razor Razor not messing around. Uh, nope. All right, who's your uh, second guy? All
2: right, so I'm, I'll go to the AL West, and again, just staying on the you know positive front, guys who are pushed. This guy skipped over a level completely. Edgar Caro, yep. uh, the catcher for the Angels. Um, he was kind of on the cusp of the top 100. We're going to have a bunch of graduations coming up soon. He might crack that list at some point. Um, just a really good hitter last year in the Cal League. Had some power. But, again, it's the Cal League. Like I'm sure many of your listeners know, that's one of the most hitter-friendly leagues in all of the minor leagues. It's right there with the Pacific Coast League. So guys who post good numbers there for a full season, I'm a little hesitant to be like, oh, well, they're obviously they're great. Like there's some conditions out there that are conducive to hitting. But the fact that the Angels skipped him completely over high A and sent him to double A, which is a level that they have Zach Nito at, that they have Ben Joyce at. I mean, they loaded up that Rocket City roster, and they want Caro there to work with some of these advanced pitchers like, like a Ben Joyce. Like, all of a sudden, he's catching a guy who can hit 103. You know, what, what went into that? I think they think the bat's advanced enough. We have some questions about can he be an everyday catcher? defensively Um, but if they think he can work with an advanced pitching staff that's a great sign and one thing I want to point out is they skipped him over high a tri-city which is an extreme pitchers park and I think that has a lot to do with it too if he's a guy you think can hit and the bats gonna what it's gonna make him travel towards Anaheim you don't want him languishing at high a and doing all the right things maybe putting in some good exit velos doing all the under the hood stuff but has an OPS in the six or sevens and he's kicking himself and getting down when it's really a park issue. It's not a, you know, a skill issue. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I don't think there were that many assignments this year where guys just completely skipped over levels and we might get into a few more later, but that really stood out to me of like, okay, we want you part of this project with the trash pandas. And if he hits there and just, just as he did last year in the Cal league, then all of a sudden we're talking about a top 75, even top 50 prospect.
1: Yeah. I mean, we could have spent, we could spend like a half hour just talking about angels assignments, uh because there's all these different complexities, as you said, Tri-City and extreme pitchers park, uh, Salt Lake and extreme hitters park. And so they just have kind of squashed everyone into rocket city, um, because they're trying to keep the pitchers out of Salt Lake and they're trying to keep the hitters out of Tri City. Uh, another guy that they, uh, this isn't going to be like my official guy, but like David Calabrese, like he wasn't even that good at single A and they skipped him over high A. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, the Carroll one was very surprising. And then I, I started getting questions from people like, are they going to just move him to first base now or are they, are they fast tracking the bat because everyone knows that the catching is kind of the weaker part of his game uh but it, it sounds like he's just gonna stay on the catcher track and try to handle this double-a pitching staff but uh yeah really interesting what the angels are doing kind of all around um did you do you have any thoughts on on just kind of Do do they sort of stand out to you as an org that kind of does things a little differently than the other 29 when it comes to assigning guys, rushing guys, maybe even
2: picking guys in the draft that think can move quickly? Um, I mean, it's been interesting the last few years. I mean, they had that pitcher only draft was it two Mm -hmm. years ago, uh, which was fascinating as an industry. But uh, I think, uh, you know, you got into it in terms of just how extreme their affiliates get plays a role in all this stuff. You know, looking last year, I was surprised that Nito made double A when he did. Uh so like on a certain level, a prospect starting out his first full season at double A would be surprising. Except he got that time last year. Right. So now it's just like <laughs> the water's warm. We know he can he can play there. Um it, it seems like they're just willing to let park factors be a thing and let that affect decisions. I think yeah. other organizations may make that call, they just don't have the extreme conditions that. LA does.
1: Yeah. um, I, I'll, I'll just quickly, uh, this'll, this'll be kind of, I'm going to lump two guys in on this, but um, just to kind of uh, let people breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited about Bryce Miller in Dynasty uh, with the, the Seattle Mariners. I'm very excited about Ben Joyce's potential as, as a future elite closer in the big leagues, but Both of them got assigned to double-A. I think a lot of people would have expected them to go to triple-A, but I do just want to kind of reassure people they were sort of shielded from the PCL with those assignments. Um, George Kirby, as we know, made the jump from double-A to the majors last year because they just didn't even want him messing around in the PCL. Uh, So I I don't know. Do you think we could see the same from Bryce Miller and or Ben Joyce this season where – their teams know that they're kind of triple-a caliber arms but they just didn't want them pitching in the pcl.
2: Yeah, I definitely had Miller down as that potential. I mean, it really seemed like he was competing for a potential major league spot all spring and then to bump him down two spots. Uh Tacoma at least by pcl standards isn't as hitter friendly as but you know, there's still the potential for him to pitch in Albuquerque and Reno and Vegas mm-hmm. and just get shelled for hitting You know, balls that are like 310 yards and easy outs other places. So I get that. Joyce, I kind of want to see him at AAA. I know, like, the arm's electric, and it's probably Major League ready now. He just needs to throw strikes. I mean, we saw that in that Rocket City no-hitter, 7-5 loss the other day. Of Like, he started out that inning and wasn't throwing strikes. But uh, I want to see how he reacts against even more advanced hitters first. Like he's, he has such limited pro experience as opposed to Miller, who has a little bit more. Um, I would want to see him get that chance. It's not like he's pitching once and then sitting on those six innings for a few days. Like he needs the reps against more advanced bats, and he's going to get that in AAA. Yeah,
1: that's, that's totally fair. And if, if the stuff's as good as, as we think it is, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable to ask him to kind of master AAA first.
2: Um, all right, so who is your who's your next guy? My next guy, now we're getting into like the not-as-aggressive assignments. I'm a little upset that Brett Beatty's still in the minor leagues. I'll be honest oh. with you.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: Brett Beatty, you know, with talk of the, the spring was, is he going to make the opening day roster, was coming off a thumb injury last year, ma- made his major league debut, so we know they thought he was major league ready at some point last year down the stretch was he going to elbow Eduardo Escobar off of third base? They decide to not do that. And that's, you know, an interesting call, maybe three, four years ago, we're talking about that of like, okay, well, you know, he's a he's a prospect, whatever. But now we're in a world in which there are incentives to put your prospects on the opening day roster. We're seeing Jordan Walker, who's younger than Beatty. We're seeing Anthony Volpe, who's younger than Beatty. And ha- both of those guys have zero major league experience. All three of them are top 20 prospects on our list. We all think very highly of those guys that they can hit and will hit at the major league level. So for the Mets to be like, uh, we don't want him up here right now. And then, of course, what is he doing so far at A Syracuse? He's hitting the crap out of the ball. Like he's slugging above 700, I think, last time I checked. He had, when I was checking yesterday, and then I know he did well again yesterday, he had the highest average exit velo in all of A. It was around 100.5. And I know average of Vilo isn't a perfect stat because, like, if you mm. deflect a ball and it goes rolling up the line, that gets factored into it. I get that. But he's hitting the ball hard, and that's all Brett Beatty has ever done. What he needed to do was starting to elevate the ball. He did that more last year at AA and AAA. That's why he got the major league call. He looked good this spring. I just think if you're the Mets and you're in a spot where, hey, we didn't win the division last year and it was mm-hmm. a close race, we need all the help we can get from day one. Why are you sending Beatty down? And, you know, we can get into a different conversation of, like, why are you not playing Francisco Alvarez right now either? But (laughs) Beatty should at least be getting that shot. He is one of the best bats in New York, and he should be getting everyday reps at third base uh, at the major league level. I think he's good enough defensively to handle that. I know that's, like, maybe the biggest question. I think he's going to be average at worst there. Um, So if that's the case, let him see the bright lights of Queens and, and get him up there as quickly as you can and help you win potentially a division you know, when in a competitive race, the Phillies are the defending NL champs. The Braves were really good again last year. I mean, this—I I don't see why the Mets are wasting bullets with him in Syracuse.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's—it's probably more to do with them uh, just wanting to give Eduardo Escobar one more shot. But I think, uh, you know, it's—it's it's the GM's job to put the best players on the big league roster. It's the manager's job to make sure. Everyone kind of accepts their role, understands their role, and uh, really tough to argue that they did that in terms of putting their best players on the big league roster with the Beatty uh, opening at Triple A. Um, as you said, Francisco Alvarez not playing as much as as we'd like right now. Uh, hopefully, that kind of trends in the other direction. Uh, I've got uh, I've got another positive one. Um, I thought the Red Sox sending Nick York to Double A was. Uh, a really nice vote of confidence for him, you know. Nick York, obviously a bat first prospect. Uh, he just turned 21, so he's still young for for double A, and would have been fine to send him back to high A where he was well below league average last year. But they they're just like we think this guy needs to go to double A. The bat's ready, uh, despite what he showed last season. And so not shocking, but at least tells me that the Red Sox are still very bullish on Nick York's bat. And it's only been four games, but he's got five walks and two strikeouts uh, so far at double a. So I think there's a chance that we could see a a Nick York Renaissance this year, especially if he kind of really handles this, this assignment to double a.
2: Yeah. And I know he was dealing with like a lot of injuries last year. Yep. Now, like that was, an excuse. And that was one reason why he did so poorly. And then he finished out the year in the Arizona fall league, which is a hitter friendly league. Like everybody was sitting in the AFL last year, but still for a guy who didn't hit during the regular season, he did hit in the autumn. So how do you factor that in? Like whether he's going to Greenville or going to going to Portland, it seems like they want to be optimistic with the guy. Like they, they thought, okay, it was an injury issue because that high A to double A jump is big. This is not some small move we're talking about here. Um, So it seems like now that he's healthy, he can be productive again. Uh, He's going to need to hit, you know, he said, like he needs to be a bat first guy His his defense at second base is not great. Um, So I'm fascinated by that. And on that same team kind of going the other direction, Sadon Rafaela is still in Portland. He wasn't one of my guys, but like, I know Jaron Duran being at, at at Worcester is taking up center field time and they still want to believe in Jaron Duran. And if he's there, you know, Rafaela needs center field reps too, but like the guy did really well at double A last year. I don't know how much he has to prove still. Like, the plate discipline is the biggest thing for him. And in order for that to improve, I think he needs to see the next level. I don't think he needs to see the same arms all over again. Um, because if he d- is just an average hitter, the glove is going to be so good that he's going to be a really good major leaguer.
1: Yeah. And with Rafaela, I would, I would hope that, uh, it'll, it'll be a quick trigger in terms of getting him up to triple a and we might even see Duran get called up to the big leagues here. Once this run of lefties, the Red Sox are facing right now comes to an end. Um, So maybe it'll be a corresponding move with Duran going up and Rafael taking his spot at triple a. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Um,
2: All right. Who's your, who's your next guy? My next guy uh, is Gavin Williams. Of the Cleveland Guardians, the Guardians do this. It seems like every year they take somebody, you know, from the college ranks uh, who has decent velocity, some control, and then they turn him into a monster. And Gavin Williams was that guy for them last year. You know, twenty-third overall pick, uh, they took him in the first round. Pitched at two levels, had an ERA below two. Uh, finished out the year at Double A Akron, got sixteen starts there, and now he's back in Akron again. Like, I get it. When I was looking at their organizational depth chart. I think they kind of filled up Columbus with guys who could be called up in a pinch, you know, some veteran types. Tanner Bybee got the call over Gavin Williams, which I think is a little interesting. Bybee has maybe a grade or two control better than Gavin Williams. And maybe that's why he gets the nod here. Um, but again, Gavin Williams is somebody you make room for is, is somebody who needs to be challenged. I mean, he struck out 82 and 70 innings last year against only 26 blocks and ERA two, three, one. And then what does he do in the first, outing for Akron this year, he strikes out nine and four and a third innings. Like, I, I just don't know if he's being challenged right now. Uh, the control is we have it down as a 50. It's four above average pitches. It's a fastball that can be in the mid nineties. All the pieces are there for him to see the major leagues at some point. I'm sure it was a call between Bybee and Williams, but again, it's just notable that out of those two Williams is the one who's still in the Eastern league. Yeah, man, that's,
1: that's a really good call. Uh you know, I I was getting questions all spring about Gavin Williams from people wondering if he was healthy because he hadn't pitched in any big league spring training games. And then we get the sigh of relief of seeing, okay, he's healthy, the stuff's there. He completely dominates in that first double A start. But then you're just kind of wondering, like, why is he there? <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> right.
1: You know, what what what's he learning from this? He's just mowing these guys down. There's no resistance at all. Uh, yeah, I think th- you make a really good point about the, the types of pitchers they sent to AAA, more sort of polished guys, maybe lower ceiling guys than than Williams, but I mean, this is a guy that, you know, I think you let him kind of kick the door down if, if you can because they're already exper- their depth's really getting tested so far, and it's only been a, a couple weeks, so yeah, that one was surprising to me, I mean, do you like, I've I've always liked Gavin Williams more than than Bybee um, yeah. just because of the upside. I mean, is that kind of your you're read on it as well?
2: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we have Williams ahead of Bybee in our top 100. It, yeah. it's, the upside is there to be like a potential number two in a rotation. Um, you know, the, it, it's funny talking about this stuff, and you brought up a great point before about Rafaela you know, you can see how moves down the depth chart are just going to push guys down. There's only so many rotation spots. There's only one center field, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe guys get quick hooks and we're like <laughs> thinking about this too hard. But even for him to start out there is still a move that they made. It, it is a choice that they they could have sent him to Columbus if they wanted to, and they didn't. So maybe he only gets three starts here. And, and all of what we're saying is, you know, doesn't matter by the end of April, but it matters now. And, uh. I don't know. Uh, we'll see if, if that means like come June or July, if the, the guardians have a rotation opening and we're looking here and we're like, well, Williams has the better upside, but Bybee has been at triple all summer. Maybe Bybee gets the call first and th- that'll be a fascinating call. Yeah. My guy,
1: uh, Bernie Pleskoff, a uh, former scout told me that he heard a Roger Clemens comp on Gavin Williams this spring. So, no. <laughs> um, very- Pretty irresponsible, but uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's the type of upside we're talking about. Um, all right, speaking of upside, my next guy, uh, Khalil Watson. So just a disastrous first full pro season last year. Was striking out over a third of the time at single A. Obviously, some, some makeup questions really came into play. Uh, I think the team suspended him. Um, but, and, and he's still 19 years old. Uh, but he impressed in the spring. He gets sent to, to high A um, despite the, the struggles and everything at single A. And he's already got a home run. He's already got three steals, more walks and strikeouts in just four games at high A. So tiny sample. But, you know, we might see Watson just really put up some crazy numbers this year. If he, if he can kind of focus just on baseball and focus on being the best version of himself – he could carry over that success from the spring. Uh, they they didn't baby him with this promotion, and I also think it's noteworthy that uh, you kind of look at the the four shortstops from that that draft. Uh, Marcelo Myers still at uh, still at high A. Uh, Brady House at single A. Jordan Lawler at double A. So Watson right squarely in the the middle of that pack, uh, despite his struggles last season.
2: Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I mean, it, it's crazy to think it's only two years ago we were talking about Khalil Watson as like right up there as a potential top five pick and you know, right up there alongside Lawler and Meyer and uh, Jackson Merrill, who like all of those guys we now have as top 20 overall prospects. Um, so the talent's not that far away. I mean, I don't think a, a year is enough to completely deflate his balloon, but it brought up a lot more questions. You know, you mentioned the, the contact rate. That's a big one. If you're not going to hit the ball at, at single A, then it's tough for us to project you to be even an average hitter by the right. time you get to double A or triple A. Um, the one interesting thing you were going through his stats before, you know, he gets moved up to the Midwest League, which I know the Florida State League is a pitcher's league, but the Midwest League early on this year, I mean, it's yep. been cold up there. And it, hitters are not hitting. So the fact that he is makes him even more fascinating, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, Beloit's just, uh, right down the the highway for me. And I mean, it's, it's heated up, uh, here these last few days, but usually you could kind of just throw out that first month of Midwest league performance with a lot of these guys, because it's just, you know, it's not normal baseball playing conditions a lot of the time. So that's, that's a great point that he, that he is in Beloit in the Midwest league. So, um, definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on over these next few weeks, Khalil Watson, because, uh, you know, if, if he handles this assignment, I mean, he could put up some pretty monstrous numbers. Uh, and that's a fun infield with him and Niddy Cape down there at,
2: at, uh, at high. Mm-hmm. All right. Do uh, you got anyone else? Yeah. I mean, I already said one catcher uh, whose name is Caro. I'm going to go back to the Brewers organization, mm. Everson Caro, uh, who was at AA Biloxi. Um, somebody, again, who also got Arizona Fall League experience last year, um, spent most of last year at Single A Carolina, got 20 games in at Hi-A Wisconsin. So he got even less time. At High A than Kyle Manzardo did at Double A when we were talking about him before. Caro gets pushed to Double A uh, right now. He's only twenty years old. He's going to be twenty for the entire summer, Um, so he is young for that level. It's not the youngest player on his team. That goes to Jackson Churio. That's probably going to go to Jackson Churio for a long while. Yeah. Um, But you know Jefferson or Jefferson Caro, we think might be one of the best defensive catchers in all the minor leagues. I mean, he the way he was throwing guys out in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, was really special. It sounds like he works with staffs really well, which I'm sure is going to help with him, you know, with him, with this jump to Double A, working with a more advanced staff. They really believe in the glove. Can he hit? I think he can be like a 260, 270 hitter with maybe, you know, 12 to 15 home runs. And if the glove is going to play, that's a really special player as it is. We just need to see it over a long sample. He had some injury issues last year as well, which is why he was in the fall league. Um, But, you know, Caro getting... Uh, the confidence of the Brewers to, to join Churio on that Biloxi team is, is something we're definitely going to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean that Jackson Churio uh, walk off Homer <laughs> night was, was uh, was something. Uh, Caro is a really good athlete for, for a catcher. And I think that that athleticism really helps him defensively. And, you know, for, for fantasy, you know, there's, there's a, massive gap between his sort of real life prospect value versus his fantasy prospect value. But you're talking about his defense. uh, You know, would it be that crazy if Caro is a guy who finishes as like a top 10, top 15 prospect on your guys' rankings um, and and the other sort of real life rankings this season, just because of how much those, those plus catchers uh, really get pushed up.
2: Yeah, I mean it's certainly possible. Uh, I've I've kind of had him circled as a guy who could be a top 100 guy at some point this year, and you know we've been willing to stuff Francisco Alvarez, who's kind of his inverse in some ways. Mm-hmm. That yep. we really believe in the bat. We have some questions defensively. So if Caro can can perform in the Southern League like he has before, and and have that notch on his belt, like that's that's going to be big. And he's I don't know if I'd be willing to go like top 10 on him, but there's potential for at least top 50, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, that's, that's where sort of the biggest disconnect is on real life lists and fantasy lists. Like, uh, I remember like Gabriel Moreno was sort of a consensus top 10, uh, real life prospect. And you just can't really get close to that uh, in terms of fantasy value. Um, so I, I, could see Carol kind of going down that same path, but like the Brewers, have already turned William Contreras into a passable framer and Caro's just a naturally good defender so I mean he could be a gold glove caliber uh, backstop if it all kind of comes together for him um okay uh I do have a couple honorable mentions but the last guy I do want to really kind of highlight and this one really was uh disappointing to me because I thought we would see this guy um, kind of in the middle of the summer taking over a prominent role, and that's uh, Dustin Harris. Uh, the Rangers sending him back to Double A. Um, you know, he's going to turn 24 in July. He's already on the 40 man roster. I I know he wasn't that much better than than league average at Double A last year, but I mean, he he had a he had a 3.46 OBP at a strikeout rate under 20 percent. Uh, 2.15 ISO at double uh, I know defensively there, there's some question marks, but I, I was really disappointed to see the, the Rangers send uh, Dustin Harris back to double um, I I don't know if you have any thoughts on on that assignment or, or why they might have done that.
2: Yeah, I, I'm kind of perplexed on that one too. Um, I think it's just – they kind. Of, I bet they probably want him to be like 30% better than the level. Maybe sure. like they really want him to push for Round Rock, and there might also be some. Uh, you know, I don't want to tread on what we're going to talk about later, but getting being a part of that Frisco core, there are a lot of really good players on Frisco, and if you think that's the potential future of your organization, getting those guys to play together now, you know, could mean something. That that might be part of the, you know getting Evan Carter and Luis Angel Acuna in the same room with Dustin Harris uh, mm-hmm. this season. There's something to be said for that, I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point, point. Um, and that's that's more of a glass half full uh, way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, there, that's so giving I them the like of the doubt. That. They just want yeah. him to play with those guys. That's why he's there. I like. It. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, why don't uh, I'll I'll just let you kind of like. Uh, empty out your, your sort of notebook if you have any any more guys uh, that you want to hit here. I've got a, I've got a few, and then we can move on to our next segment.
2: Yeah, I think you you hit on Junior Camonero Cam before in the Rays, and I don't want to spend too much more time on the Rays, but, um, you know, well, people somebody... People
1: will love it if you talk
2: about Camonero for the next, like, 10 <laughs> minutes, so... Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can do that. Uh, I mean, he's just one of those guys, like we were talking about Curtis Mead a few years ago of how they plucked this guy from the Florida Coast League, and then all of a sudden he pops in a way that nobody expected. Cam was that next version. I mean, he did that last year. Uh, they got him from the Dominican Summer League, so even lower than Curtis Meade was. They liked the power. They like the bat. They moved him around defensively between third and second. and He might get a little bit of short, but, like, it's the bat that's going to push him. And now all of a sudden he's at high A at 19 years old. It's not Jackson Churio, but the fact that this time last year he was starting out at the Complex in Florida, and now all of a sudden he's at high A – Tells me something. And to go back to what we were talking about before of getting guys to play together, also at high A's, Carson Williams, uh, who is a really gifted defender at shortstop. Those are two guys who you want playing next to each other, developing some chemistry. Um, So Camonero getting this call with that power, I think is really interesting. Uh, And the other one I want to point out real quick, I don't know that much about this guy, or I didn't know that much about this guy just a few weeks ago. I don't do our Angels list. That's Jonathan Mayo, who pours in a lot of work on it. This one, Uh, but Nelson Rada, who's the 14th prospect uh, for the Halos after last year with Churio, you know, he skipped over the stateside complex completely. He went from the DSL straight to single A. It took him a little a few weeks, I think, until they put him on Carolina. Rada spent all of last year in the Dominican Summer League and now is in the Cal League on opening day. So he's beating Churio's timeline. Now, I don't think he has the tools Churio did like Churio was a top 10 prospect for us in a pretty Good brewer system this time last year. Rod is 14 in a so so to bad angels system. Um, but the fact that they did this, alarm bells should be going off. Like, why is this guy so special that he can be here already? He's not turning 18 until August. Like, it's just fascinating about him getting this push, uh, to the Cal League. What numbers can he put up? We'll have to see, but it's definitely somebody that should be on people's radars now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He was, uh, the next guy I was going to highlight and, uh, you know, like you said, I I can't tell you a ton definitively about him, uh, Rada. But um, you know, from from the scouting reports I've read, it seems like the the speed and power have been ticking up uh, as he's added strength. Uh, very selective hitter. We've already kind of seen that in his approach uh, early on at at single A and what he did in the DSL. Uh, so I think he's going to work counts. He's going to make guys throw him strikes. Um, and you 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 know people have been asking like who's going to be this year's Jackson Churio. Uh, my sort of long shot call was Josue De Paula, uh, with the the Dodgers. I thought there might be a chance that they would skip him over the complex and send him to Single A, which they did not. Uh, Rada doesn't have that level of um, kind of upside juice, really. At least from what I can tell. But like you said, you know, sending a guy for his age 17 season to single A, they might be expecting bigger things than the rest of us. And anyone who puts up numbers there at that age has to be taken very seriously. So uh, I think in, in Dynasty Leagues, if you can add Rada as just a spec and just sort of see where this goes, I think that's worthwhile. Even in shallower leagues, just because it, it's – it's always very appealing to have a, a 17-year-old who might be breaking out in full season ball. Um, but then again, it's like the Angels too. And I, I feel like I'd be more kind of all in on a scene where this goes if it had been a, a different org um, because they just seem to be pushing everyone. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to know whether it's them just being overly aggressive with a bunch of their assignments or whether it's more about the player here.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it comes back to one of the things that I'm always most excited about with this stuff is that you can study how everybody did last year, how their tools look. You can try to project it out. And there's going to be some surprises. Nelson Rada was a surprise. Like this is a surprise assignment. Yep. So now it, it forces us to dig in more and see where things go. And hopefully we'll be surprised again. I mean, that, that's one of the biggest joys I have is finding out somebody improves because they're not static. <laughs> These guys are working on stuff all the time and I know what you're saying about the angels being one of the most aggressive orgs we have, uh, but they must see something. They don't want him going there to fail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and just as we kind of wrap this, this segment up, uh, I I mentioned David Calabrese earlier. He finished last year at single, like his numbers at single, a look terrible, but he did finish strong. And so just pay attention to what Calabrese does at double a, he does have defensive chops. He's got speed. So if the bat is more advanced than, than we thought that's, that's noteworthy. Um, I do want to see Marcelo Meyer and and Brady house get a a level bump here in the coming weeks. I just think that those guys should be pushed. Um, And then Mason Miller, I wanted to note, he opened at double a and he's already at triple a struck out eight guys in like three and two thirds, I think in his, his lone double a start. And he does have experience at triple a didn't back last year, but uh, Mason Miller now just just one step away from the big leagues, so I think that's that's uh, worth mentioning as well. Uh, all right. We are going to head to a message from our sponsors, and then when we get back, uh, Sam and I are going to highlight a couple of our, our favorite uh, loaded roster situations in the minors.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
3: That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: A new MLB season means it's time for a new kind of daily fantasy baseball Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they've brought new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. Rival Fantasy's games include Fantasy Bingo, Head to Head Player Challenges, and Fantasy Book, where users can select over unders for two to five players. With games like this, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Roadwire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use code Rotowire MLB at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival Protected up to $50. Now's the time to step to the plate and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. Baseball is back. Swing into the MLB season with Vivid Seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups and biggest games of the year. Every crack of the bat, every deep center fly, and every heart-pounding double play of your favorite team, live and in person. Plus, with Vivid Seats rewards, now you earn rewards with every single ticket purchase. Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward. Just buy 10 tickets, then simply cash in your credit toward your 11th ticket purchase. That's that easy. Pro reward tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free 11th ticket even faster. From behind the plate to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. All right, Sam, we are back. Uh... That was fun. I I just, I I share your uh, excitement for kind of finding out where all these guys go. Lots of guys to just really keep an eye on uh, early in April. Um, But I wanted to highlight some specific rosters and, you know, obviously this is great if you're watching on MLB TV. Uh, It's great if you live in these areas and want to go catch a a minor league game. Uh, We're going to help you uh, pinpoint some, some teams to target here. Uh, So What's one roster or roster situation that you think is specifically loaded uh, that you can't wait to watch this season?
2: Yeah, I'll kind of quote from Jim Callis's uh, story that he did for us on on like what we think are the most loaded rosters. And at number one, he had the Frisco Rough Riders, who we talked about before with Dustin Harris starting out there. But you've got four top 100 prospects between Evan Carter and. Jack Leiter, Luis Angel Acuna, Owen White. Um, they also have Takoa Roby, who I, I'm a big fan of. I think you know he's got enough pitches to to really pitch well there uh, at Double A. The Rangers are kind of like in a tweener situation right now. I know they've made a lot of big signings the last two off seasons uh, in terms of you know trying to get over that hump in the AL West and back into the American League postseason. But they have a de- pretty decent system too. I mean, especially at the top here. And getting all these guys coalesced in one place, I think could be really interesting. And it's interesting too, just from a standpoint of like, there are some question marks here. Jack Leiter was at double a all last year. didn't go as well as anybody would have hoped. How can he rebound? What can he take from last year and learn, or learn from that? Owen White hasn't really been healthy the most of the time, but his ceiling is immense. I mean, when he pitches, it's really, really good stuff. So what can he do to potentially get over a hundred innings this year? Um, Evan Carter, has one of the best eyes like in minor league baseball right now, one of the most discerning eyes. He knows where the ball is going. He knows when to swing, when to lay off pitches. That's going to translate well. So like, how long does he stay at double A? Is it a short stay? Is it something where he moves and Acuna, you know, obviously brother of Ronald Acuna jr. Supremely athletic on the infield. He's not like his brother. He's an infielder, not an outfielder. Um, All the tools are there for him to be a potential quick climber as well. Maybe some questions on the hit, but like, there's some really interesting stuff that could happen there with the rough riders. And if those guys are supplementing the signings that they've made the last two off seasons, that's I think what's going to get Texas over the hump more than just keep throwing money at the issue. They're going to have to develop guys. And the core of that is now a double A. Yeah, that's a a good
1: call. Uh, I mean, you, you laid it out really well. Uh, This is a big year for Jack lighter. You know, it's a, I thought double a was a fair assignment for him last year. You know, the part of the appeal with Jack lighter in the draft is this is a guy that's going to move quickly. Um, You know, and you know, a lot it's, it's, it's not easy um, (laughs) getting guys out even at, even at double a, but for a guy with his pedigree, I'd like to see a step forward from him. And um, do you, do you think, do you think Evan Carter debuting, uh, this year is is in play at all, or do you think that that's just going to be probably next season? Kind of no matter no matter what he does.
2: I think he's kind of in that spot where like he could debut this year, but still be a prospect for next year. Sure. Kind of in that Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll role. Corbin Carroll is actually maybe like a good idea of what that could be for Evan Carter. Corbin Carroll began last year also in the Texas League, moved up to AAA, debuted late in the year, um, just to get him that look. Like if the Rangers aren't in the running. And they are getting squeezed out. Come September, you want to make space for Evan Carter. Like it's a bat that's going to play at the major league level. Um, I think anybody who starts out at Double A has a shot. I just I don't think he's going to necessarily graduate. I think we're probably still going to be talking about it on a prospect, but it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Yeah, and and very hopeful
1: that Owen White can stay healthy. Uh, okay, my first situation. It's not an entire roster, but. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a more loaded outfield than the Spokane outfield uh, in over there in Washington uh, Rockies affiliate at at High A. They got Jordan Beck. They got Yankeel Fernandez. They've got Benny Montgomery. They got Sterling Thompson. This is just all kinds of pedigree in the draft on the international market. Uh, guys with big time offensive ceilings, and it's an incredibly hitter friendly home park. There in Spokane. So, I mean, this is this is appointment viewing. I think if you live in the, the Pacific Northwest and you're into to minor league baseball, I think this uh, Spokane
2: outfield is, is worth the price of admission. Yeah. It's kind of funny how the Rockies have hitter friendly parks almost yep. everywhere. <laughs> it's almost like yeah. they're planning for
1: something. Right. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite of those four? Beck, Fernandez, Montgomery, Thompson.
2: I mean, I've always. I think going back to last year, I continue to be fascinated by Jordan Beck, you know, coming off that really talented uh, Tennessee team last year. Kind of, we were talking about Mason Hour before of like Mm -hmm. a guy who has all the tools. It's just, is he going to hit enough? And that's the hardest thing to do in this sport. So if he does, you know, there's the potential for him to be top five in the org at least. It's just, that's the biggest question mark right now. We have him down for a 45 hit. If he can get that to a 50, everything else is 55s across the board at least. And his 60 arm is, is his best tool um so i'm just fascinated to see how he's going to hit and being in a hitter's park there, there's not going to be an excuse he should be at high a he should be able to produce there um it's just a matter of doing it now yeah it's kind of a
1: double-edged sword when you've got at least when you're analyzing these guys for for dynasty when they're at a place that's that hitter friendly um you know, if they struggle, I mean, all these guys really have no excuse to not put up numbers there. So if they struggle, uh, then that's kind of a red flag. But I mean, I, I remember looking at like the the Astros, uh, Asheville, high A, like that, that roster last year, every single guy on that team had just insane numbers. Yeah, so it's just right. kind of like, what do you even do with this? Um, so that there is that element too, where, you know, any of these guys could just have a monster season at Spokane, but how much are we actually learning from that? You know, uh, that that part of it's challenging. Um, okay, what's your what's your next uh, roster situation?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna keep kind of going down the, you know, obvious things are obvious. Strain and, and say sure. Norfolk. Okay, uh, Norfolk, the Norfolk Tides, the AAA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, yep. um, was loaded. It's still loaded, even though they've technically lost Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, but you look at that that lineup now. It's Colton Kowser, Jordan Wesper, Joey Ortiz, who I think is a really good shortstop, Connor Norby, uh, who we, j- we just put into the top 100. So those are four top 100 bats alone. Uh-huh. They also have D.L. Hall on the pitching side, who I know there's some serious debate over whether he's a better reliever or a starter. If I was making the call, I would probably just move him to relief. I think he can be a wicked reliever. Um, but they they still say, hey, we think we can get enough out of him, enough strikes out of him to be a starter. So that's going to continue this year at Norfolk. And yeah, that's to the benefit of the tides. I mean, this is already a situation. We saw what happened when the Orioles called up a bunch of guys last year. And then all of a sudden they were surprising. Well, the next wave is already here. Like it's, it's knocking on the door. All of these guys should be competing for major league spots at some point uh, this summer. And then it's going to become a situation of like, how do you sort everybody out? right? Like Jordan Westberg's an infielder, Connor Norby's an infielder, Joey Ortiz. I would keep him at shortstop, but again, another infielder. It's going to be a lot of guys trying out the outfield guys, trying out first base guys, trying out something else. Kobe Mayo is not very far beyond he's not on this team yet, um, but he's another guy. They're going to have to figure out where he's going to fit defensively. It's a lot of good problems for the Orioles to have it makes it all the more frustrating the fact that they didn't make moves this offseason uh to add some veteran types to this. But, you know, if they look at last year's model and think like, okay, if we just add more prospects to this soup, it's going to be even better. The ingredients are there.
1: Yeah. I mean, this might be the most loaded roster in the minors. Um, not, not surprising when you have a, a farm system as stacked as, as Baltimore's has been these last uh, couple of years, the AAA affiliate, uh, being loaded is not a surprise, but I mean, yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's just stacked the infield, especially, uh, the two way infielders, they can, they can all hit, they can all field. Um, and I, I think, you know, they've got sleepers in the pitching staff. Like I, I like Noah Denoyer a little bit as a, as a sleeper. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got drew Rahm, who's kind of an interesting lefty. So, uh, just talent up and down that roster, um, and it's, like you said, good problem for the O's to have, uh, where they can kind of let competition uh, sort of fuel, you know, who's going to get the at-bats, uh, but very frustrating, I know, for a lot of Dynasty League managers to sort of figure out who who are going to be the everyday infielders for this team in about a year. Um, okay, my next one, it's just a 1-2 a punch in a high A rotation, but I just... I think both these guys have massive breakout potential. I'm really excited that they're in the same rotation and that is, uh, Bubba, Bubba Chandler and Anthony mm. Solomito at Greensboro. Uh, I just think that that's such a fun combo of, of high upside young pitchers, uh, Bubba Chandler is the the power righty and then Solomito is kind of the lanky lefty with the kind of bum garner delivery. Um, so it's just, just a really fun duo. And I, I know Solomito uh, Velo might be ticking up a little bit, which would be huge for him. He's going to just always give uncomfortable at-bats to hitters. If he can throw strikes, I think he could really break out this year. And then Bubba Chandler, uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. If he can stay healthy, uh, just really explosive stuff. Now that he's full-time on pitching, I think uh, this could be a breakout year for him as well.
2: Yeah, Bubba Chandler's somebody you could easily have to last segment. I mean, neither of us could have. The fact that you mentioned you know, he was a two-way player – They made the decision this spring, to be like, you're pitching only. This is the quickest way you are going to get to Pittsburgh is by pitching. We think you could be a hitter, but just go out there and sling it. And they could have easily sent him back to Bradenton and just be like, okay, last time you were here, you're working on two things. Let's see what it looks like when you do one thing. But they believe so much in the arm and that he can, you know, be good enough for the fastball, breaking balls, the changeup. He thinks that's coming along. He was really excited to put that into use. Uh, I love it. I love to see that guy challenged and just be like, "No, we believe you are a supreme athlete and a supreme talent, and now it's time your time to prove it."
1: Yeah, and I know that that was kind of a hard sell for him because he just he seems like a guy who just wants to be involved in every game, uh, be competing every single day. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, I think like the the Pirates said, it got to a point where they would have wanted to assign him to one level as a pitcher and one level as a hitter, so uh, kind of had to pick a lane. Um but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're around Greensboro and you can kind of time it to watch either of those guys start, I think it's, it's well worth it. Uh, what's your, what's your next situation here?
2: Yeah. So my last one, uh, I'm going to go off. I'm not going to pick a team that was on that story, although you should check it out to, for more loaded rosters across the minor leagues written by Jim Callis the other day. Uh, but mine is going to be Fredericksburg, uh, single a affiliate of the Washington nationals, nationals, It could not be more clear. They are in a rebuild mode right now. They are all in on the prospects, trying to develop these guys. They're pushing them from every angle, right. From like a marketing standpoint, from a, uh, you know, the GM is talking about prospect assignments on opening day of the major league season. That was fascinating. So you look at Fredericksburg and it's like, if this experiment is going to work, it needs to work here at single a, because you look at the roster who's going to be there. Elijah green, their first round pick last year, uh, you know, supremely talented, some serious swing and miss issues, especially on high fastballs. And that really showed up last year in the FCL. That's why he wasn't the first overall pick. Uh, but when he hits the ball, it, it's really hard and he can play center field. You know, it's going to be a difficult decision for them down the line. Of who is their future center fielder between James Wood, Robert Hassel III, Elijah Green, some of these other names that are trickling in as well. But it's not just him. I mean, Brady House, who you mentioned before, is back at single A after having a back issue last year that knocked him out for much of the year. And it seemed like he was trying to play through it. And that's why the numbers were so bad through the first half. Um, They think that it was a maturity issue, not that he was immature, but that he was somebody who was always told, hey, be a gamer, go out there and play every day. And he didn't want to look weak when he had a re- serious back issue
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's behind him. Now um, he could absolutely tear the ball, the cover off the ball and be up in Willing- Wilmington in two weeks. Uh, but the fact that he's here now playing alongside Elijah green, I think is really interesting. Harleen Susana mm-hmm. is one of the most electric arms in the minor leagues. He pitched to Fredericksburg. The tail end of last year was included in the Juan Soto deal it was up to 103 um, already. They really like his slider too. Is he going to have enough of a third pitch to be a starting pitcher? We'll have to see. But for him to be at a single A affiliate to begin the year, again, it's just loaded with tools. And there's some other names on that list that they need to kind of have pop-up prospects too. Like an Armando Cruz, who we've always known is a supremely good defender at short, but the higher he climbs, the more questions we have about the bat. Dalen Lyle missed all of last year with Tommy John surgery, but the report on him coming out of the draft two years ago was that he can be a 55 grade hitter. He's somebody who could hit his way pretty quickly. We just don't know what he's going to be like coming out of that. Um, this is where the Nat success needs to start. And that may dif- be difficult to swallow because we're talking about single A. We're not talking about triple A. It's going to be a while for these guys to reach the capital. But there's, it's easy to see how excitement is going to be generated by this Fred Nats team. So it's one I'm going to be keeping a close eye on for the first few weeks.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, they might've been, uh, like you were talking about with Dustin Harris and, and maybe wanting him to play with the rest of that, that double a team, uh, that might've been part of why house is, is going back to single a here for a bit just to, to be with these guys. Uh, I mean, if you, if you go to, uh, if you go to a, a Fredericksburg game and can get there a little early and catch some BP with, with green and house, uh, would recommend that, especially if you can do it on a day where Susana's pitching. Um, Okay, my last situation here is another kind of loaded single-A roster, and that is the Reds single-A affiliate in Daytona. Uh, The teenage position players on this roster, I don't know how they're all going to perform, but I know that they're all going to look the part. They're just loaded with athletes. They're loaded with high-pedigree guys, especially on the international side of things. Uh, You got Cam Collier, obviously, but then uh, Carlos Jorge, Sal Stewart, Hector Rodriguez, Leandro Balcazar, Ariel Almonte, Victor Acosta, Malvin Valdez. I think most of those guys got seven figures when they signed. Uh, the other ones have been extremely impressive um, down on in the rookie levels. So, uh, you know, if you're in Daytona or you're around Daytona and you just want to see, a bunch of toolsy teenagers who have a lot to kind of figure out, but are going to put on a show some days. I think Daytona is, is a good spot to check out.
2: Yeah. And for Cam Collier, I mean, it's crazy to think he was playing in the Cape league uh, summer. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, he was a teenager in the Cape yeah. league. How is that going to compare to the Florida state league? I mean, you're playing every day in a much hotter place and, uh, you know, a hundred games versus 20 or so, but still uh, that was insane to me. Yeah, man. Uh, I can't. I can't wait to see what he does this year. I mean, it's
1: he's so young that he could be forgiven some struggles this year against single A pitching, but he's also just so talented, and he's been on this this fascinating sort of trajectory, um, like you said, going to the Cape as a teenager. Um, so Collier, uh, can't wait to see what he does. Um, and then I'll just quickly mention, like, you know, not every prep pitcher uh who gets picked high gets sent straight to single a i think it's noteworthy that atlanta sent owen murphy and jr richie to augusta i'm so interested to see how those guys pitch early
2: this season um was there anything else you wanted to mention sam i think we hit on all the major stuff i mean this was this was a lot of fun to to bang around the minors like this oh yeah uh this is this is great um you know, I, I think it's more interesting than just sort
1: of analyzing. You know, what these guys have done in less than a week's worth of games. I think there's a lot that you can kind of glean from from seeing where guys get assigned. Uh, and I really appreciate you you helping me break it down. Um, I thought it was was great. Uh, do you want to just kind of I don't know if there's anything you want to plug, any anything you're working on, um, want to let people know where they can find you.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Um, all my work can be found at MLB.com slash pipeline or at MLB.com, the official website of Minor League Baseball. Uh, I do the weekly Minor League podcast with my co-hosts, Tyler Mon and Ben Hill. Uh, it's called The Show Before the Show. We're coming out every week talking about Minor League Baseball from an industry point of view, from a promotional stand- standpoint, from you know what's happening in the – in the games themselves. I mean, we're trying to cover all of minor league baseball for an hour, an hour and a half each week. So check that out. It usually drops on Fridays, but yeah, otherwise, you know, we'll be here all season. Yeah. You guys do do great work. Uh, like I
1: said, really appreciate it. It's invaluable to me. Uh, and again, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Uh, this has been the Roadwire prospect podcast brought to you by rival fantasy. I'll be back uh, next week with a mailbag. Episode.
4: mypatriotsupply.com